0: Sunday Showcase, highlighting some of the best audio storytelling found anywhere. All right here on the Mutual Audio Network.
1: The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance.
2: Hey, it's Jack Ward here from Mutual Presents. You know, we've done MadCon for a second year. I can't believe it for myself. Thanks so much for Tony, Jackie, Amy, Kai, and everyone else who was involved. What a relief it was to know it was all in good hands. Well, we're back for Series 5 to look at more of the Golden Age shows you can find at the Mutual Audio Network YouTube channel for the Mutual Broadcasting System. And what better way than to start with Sunday's Anthology of Plays series, Mutual Theater. You know, I have to tell you that I'm kind of inspired to build on Mutual Theater with our own full-length feature series, Mutual Stage. The idea is that a producer-writer brings either an entirely original or wholly public domain project into a full feature-length size, from an hour and a half in length or longer. We hope the three act structure will remind you of some of the other great shows like Lux Radio Theater, or Sears Theater, or First Snyder, or Mercury Theater on the Air, of course, and Columbia Radio Theater, among many, many others. But while Pete Lutz and I have a number of plays in the wing, I expect Mutual Stage will have to wait until 2023 when I'm done my master's. In the meantime, let's enjoy a double feature of Mutual Theatre with One Dollar Dream House and North from Marrakesh.
3: This is Cicely Tyson. We're in a forgotten place, passed over and left behind. Once when the city was young, long ago, This street was its center, the beautiful and bright focal point of all its life. But that's all changed. Now, amid the abandoned warehouses, the partially burnt-out structures and the broken pavements littered with debris and jagged pieces of glass, there remains one last link to the former grandeur and grace. A block of old Victorian mansions, most of them vacant, and teetering on the edge of ruin. Across from these crumbling houses, there is a dilapidated and defunct hotel. Perched in its fire escapes, there are children. They have the appearance of a flock of half starved birds. At the approach of a car, they retreat from sight, but still they watch with huge dark eyes from the gaping back windows of the building. These are the Hollanders, Alan, Diana, Jeff, and Jennifer. Alan has by the hand two-year-old Jeff, and Diana holds in her arms Jennifer, who's just eight months. The Hollanders are urban homesteaders. They have left their comfortable home in the suburbs to settle here. They stand before the enormous and battered old house that is now theirs. The brick wall that fronts it is scarred with spray-painted graffiti that speaks in bitter eloquence of hatred, anger, and hopelessness. But the Hollanders have brought hope with them to this place. Hope and humor and love.
0: Well, we're here. I guess we made better time than the moving van.
1: Alan, was that window in the little tower broken when we were here last week?
0: No. Seems to me that was the only one left intact.
1: Someone got to it. Now they're all broken.
0: So we start completely fresh. No windows till we put them in ourselves.
1: It must have been so beautiful once.
0: And it will be again. When? Not soon, my very lovely and impatient lady. It's going to be a long time coming, Diana.
1: I know. I want things to happen so fast.
0: (laughs) If you'd had your way, you'd have had the kids in four months instead of nine.
1: I couldn't wait to see their faces. I feel the same way about this old place. I want to see it when it's everything it can be again. It'll come. Well, we may not know when we'll be finished, but we do know when we can start. Today's the day.
3: Under the Urban Homestead Act, the Hollanders paid one dollar for this property, agreed to improve it, and to stay at least three years. But these pioneers are planning on a lifetime in their one-dollar dream house. And that is only the beginning of our story.
4: Mutual Radio Theater a new adventure in radio listening. Five nights of exceptional entertainment every week brought to you in Elliot Lewis's production of the Mutual Radio Theater. Our story, One Dollar Dreamhouse by Pamela Russell. Our stars, Patricia Joyce, Jack Bannon, and Irene Tedrow. For a
3: week, the Hollanders have lived in the old house ...that stands in the decayed center of the city. Soon, Alan will be leaving for his law offices. He can walk there now. From the suburbs where they used to live, it had been over an hour's commute into the city. It's one of the many advantages. But this week, the city has been quick to reveal its disadvantages to the Hollanders.
0: Diana. Do you realize that we actually have glass in every window of this house? No more drafts coming through the boards?
1: Or derelicts, either. That man the other day just about scared the life out of me.
0: Oh, I'm sure he was harmless. He was probably just looking for a warm place to sleep.
1: I know. But when I walked in and found him half in, half out of the window with Jennifer in her crib not ten feet away, I was terrified.
0: That was a blood-curdling scream you let out. I'm sure he spread the word that this house is no longer empty.
1: Yes, and that it's occupied by banshees. I guess getting to know our neighbors around here will be a little different than it was in Logan Knolls. I don't think throwing a backyard barbecue will do it.
0: (laughs) No, I wouldn't start making the guacamole dip. But then here you don't run the risk of having your brain turned to mashed avocado.
1: I have lost my pastoral complacency this week. But, Alan, do you ever wonder just exactly what we've gotten ourselves into?
0: We knew this wasn't going to be easy. Diana, what's wrong?
1: Mother's coming over today. Today? Yes, could you stay?
0: I have to be in court at eleven this morning.
1: Oh, that's right, I forgot. Guess I'm on my own. It's too soon. I don't have things even close to the way I want them. I'm just not ready for mother. Alan she'll faint when she sees this place.
0: I'm only surprised she wasn't here the first day.
1: Well, wouldn't that have been wonderful? At least now we have windows. I've made a start on the garden.
0: Don't forget my beautiful new sidewalk out front that I nearly broke my back putting in.
1: And it makes such a difference, too. How did I get so lucky to have a husband who's not only a legal genius, but an expert carpenter and bricklayer, too?
0: Not to mention my movie star good looks.
1: Now, how could I have forgotten that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I better get a move on. If I don't get going, I may have to start making a living laying bricks.
1: Mother's not due till noon. Maybe I'll have time to scrape some of the words off the front wall.
0: At least the obscene ones.
1: Very funny. You can joke. You don't have to face her.
0: You'll do just fine. You want to know why?
1: I'm dying to know.
0: Because you have the power of your convictions. You believe in what we're doing here.
1: You sound like a lawyer. I'm feeling a little shaky in the convictions this morning.
0: I have faith in you.
1: Thank you very much, sir. Let's see. I'll point out the parquet floors, the marble fixtures, the ceiling moldings, the proximity of the art museum and theaters. It sounds
0: great. Just don't let her see the cockroaches, the winos and the nearness of Max's pawn shop and Sheldon Swift, the bail bondsman.
1: You're a big help
0: just trying to get a little laugh out of you.
1: Not even a giggle.
0: It's going to be all right, Diana. If you say so. I really have to get going. Come on, walk me to the door. Deserted. Uh Give my love to Edna.
1: Your love and a blindfold might help.
0: You know how good it feels to be able to walk to work.
1: Well, I know how tense you used to be after the drive home. You'd be so late. And sometimes a week would go by and you wouldn't see Jeffrey Jennifer awake. They'd almost forget who you were.
0: Look at your garden.
1: Mm, Not bad for an amateur. It's funny. Out in the knolls, I took it all for granted. The trees, the flowers, everything. Now that I have to work for it, it means a lot more to me. You know, Alan, I had the strangest sensation when I was working out here yesterday. As if I was being watched.
0: That poor old bum spooked you, that's all.
1: Maybe. I don't know. You think the flowers will get enough sunshine there? Sure.
0: In the afternoon, the sun should be. Al-
1: Alan! Alan, look! What? Where? Look! The sidewalk is gone! Somebody, somebody took our sidewalk!
0: Look at that. They just pried it up and carted it off.
1: Why would anybody want to steal sidewalk?
0: I don't know.
1: Oh, what do we do now?
0: You call the police. When I get a chance, I'll call our insurance agent and see if we're covered.
3: Diana has set up the playpen for Jennifer in the front yard. She's working on the garden, and Jeff is busy with his own a collection of sticks, rocks, and tiny dirt trenches that could be beautiful only to a two-year-old boy. Diana looks from her tulips to the gate, occasionally watching for the arrival of either her mother or the police. But her first visit this morning is an unexpected one. She looks up and sees, standing at her gate, what seems like an apparition from the past, an elderly woman in a dark silk dress Lace mittens and a faded Chinese paper parasol. Hello. Good morning, my dear. How lovely it is to see a family here. There hasn't been a family in this house in, uh, oh, 20 years or more. My name is Olivia Stanhope. It's very (laughs) nice to meet you.
1: I'm Diana Hollander. Won't you please come in, Mrs. Stanhope? Oh, thank you,
3: my dear. And it's this Stanhope. I never married. But please, call me Olivia. I live just two houses down from you. i had been intending to come and call, but I thought I'd let you settle a bit before I did. Sister and I watched you move in last week. It was rather an event for us. I had no idea there was anyone still living in these houses. Sister and I have lived here for 73 years. Well, sister has anyway. I'm only 70. You mean you were both born in the house? Yes, born, lived all our lives, and will die there, I'm certain. You must have seen this neighborhood go through a great many changes. Oh, that we have. It saddens us to see it as it is now. We rarely leave the house anymore. But I did want to have this visit with you and tell you how happy you and your family have made, Viola, and me. One of these days, I... I may even talk her into coming over, too. I wish you would, Olivia. Olivia and Viola. These names you don't often hear anymore. Mama loved Shakespeare, and especially Twelfth Night. What are your little one's names? Jeffrey and Jennifer. Beautiful babies. Thank you. I'd nearly forgotten that children like yours existed. Sister and I were teachers. Viola taught English, and my subject was history. We had many lovely pupils, but it seems now all we see are those other ones. Other ones? Haven't you seen them yet? Them? (laughs) No, I haven't. Oh, you will. Across the way there, that's where they are. Who, Olivia? Yes, over there. That was once the Imperial Arms. Papa was outraged at the idea of a hotel being built right under our noses. He tried to stop it, but he couldn't. It opened in 1915 and closed its doors in 1963. But you said someone lives there now. Yes, a tribe of children. A tribe? Oh, well, really, more like a pack. A pack of animals. More like wolves than children.
1: I don't think I understand, Olivia. Perhaps
3: you understand, but you don't want to believe. Are you telling
1: me that a group of children live in that abandoned building across the street? Yes. What about their parents?
3: Well, they seem to have none. It's only children that we've seen up on the fire escapes and in the streets at night. You haven't seen them? You're sure? No, but... What? Yesterday,
1: when I was out here, I did have the feeling I was being watched. Oh, I'm certain you
3: were, my dear. Why doesn't somebody do something about them for them? Well, there's no one who cares, or... Who is even aware that they're alive, I suppose. Three years ago, when Sister and I first began to see them, we called the police. And what happened? Well, they sent over two very nice young officers to investigate, but the children must have seen their automobile. There was no one there when they went inside. The officers told us that it was probably transients that we'd seen. They promised they would send someone from the city to board up the doors and windows again. I think that the young policeman thought that Sister and I had lost our minds that we were senile. Perhaps you think that too, Diana?
1: No, I don't. Well, I'm glad of that.
3: They do live there, the children. And they come out at night. We've seen them often, Sister and I. Like shadows they are, but they're real. We leave food outside our gate. In the mornings it's always gone, but Well, then it could be the rats that carry it away and eat it.
1: The police are coming here today. You may have noticed that our sidewalk was stolen. Mm. When they come, Olivia, I'm going to tell them what you've told me. I doubt it'll
3: do any good. Why not? The children must always be watching and waiting. When the police come, they'll run off. When the police go, they'll come back. It's probably a kind of game for them. It's a horrible game. Well, that's their life, my dear. A horrible game. Hmm. Well, I must be going now. Sister will be wondering why I've been so long. May I come again and visit with you and your lovely golden babies? Just the sight of them does me good. Yes, please do. And bring Viola. Well, I shall try to persuade her. Goodbye, my dear. Goodbye. The Hollanders have had very different days. It is evident in their greeting at the door.
0: Hi, honey. Hi. What's wrong, Diana?
1: No, I want to hear about your day. You won. I know you did. Come on, let's sit down. Tell me all about it.
0: What happened?
1: No, cheer me up. Tell me about your triumph in court.
0: All right. It was one of those perfect days. I knew I was saying all the right things, making all the right moves. It was great. You know, a day like today makes all the years of study worthwhile. I'm doing what I was meant to do. You know, this was the kind of a day that you want to put under glass and keep always to pull out and remember on those other days when nothing is right and everything is wrong.
1: Nothing right and everything wrong. That sounds familiar. That's what I had today, one of those other days. How is it that we started the same way, Alan, with the stolen sidewalk and ended so differently?
0: I think maybe the sidewalk gave me the edge I needed. I was so mad...
1: That you turned it into righteous indignation for your client. All lawyers are actors at heart, I think. Shh.
0: That's a trade secret. So tell me, did your mother give you a rough time?
1: Yes, but I expected that. She found fault with everything. The way the kids looked, the way I looked, the way the house looked. Let's see, too dirty, too thin, and too old. What? Jeff was filthy. He'd been working on his garden when she got here, and she made him cry when she told him to go wash his hands. She says my face is pinched and I should gain some weight, and the house, among other things, is falling down from age. According to Mother, we own a white elephant. And if we're not murdered in our beds, the very least we can expect is to be robbed, vandalized, and mugged. Oh, and finally condemned by the health department.
0: So much for Edna. What do the police have to say?
1: About the same thing as Mother. They were full of warnings and dire predictions. Evidently, it's going to be impossible to trace a sidewalk. Does the insurance cover it?
0: I'm afraid not. Porches, yes. Sidewalks, no. Figures. So we'll put in another sidewalk, that's all.
1: And they can steal that other one, too.
0: Diana, it's not like you to be so down.
1: I know, but there was more to my day if you want to hear it. Tell on. Well, Jeff threw his bowl of cereal at me. It's really getting to be a handful. I think we may have termites, and I met one of our neighbors.
0: Not another wino through the window.
1: No, this was an elderly lady named Olivia Stanhope. She and her sister Viola lived two houses away.
0: That doesn't sound too bad.
1: No. Maybe a little depressing. They're retired school teachers and they're all alone. But Olivia told me something very disturbing and I can't stop thinking about it. What is it? Olivia says that there are children living in that old abandoned hotel across the street. Children? Yeah, she called them a tribe of children.
0: Sounds to me like the imaginings of a very frightened old woman.
1: I believed her. In fact, I asked the police when they came today if they would go over and see if they could find anything. And did they? They went over, but they said it was deserted. They told me they saw what might have been the remains of human habitation. But it was most likely derelicts who broke in, slept there a night or two, and moved on.
0: There. You see?
1: But, Alan, the police told Olivia the same thing when she reported the children three years ago. She says they run off when they see a police car. She says they're always watching and that they only come out at night.
0: It's not possible. It can't be. A pack of children living in an abandoned building? It couldn't happen.
1: Why couldn't it?
0: It just couldn't, that's all.
1: Do you remember this morning when I told you that I felt someone watching me when I was out in the garden? It was those children. I know it was. They're there. They are.
0: Diana, you're nervous and upset. It's been a bad day.
1: It's been a beast of a day, but that has nothing to do with it. I'm telling you, Alan, I can feel their presence. They're over there in that awful place. Why won't you believe me? Diana. What makes you so sure there aren't any children?
0: Where are their parents?
1: That was the first thing I asked, too. But you and I both know that some parents desert children and some children run away. It happens.
0: It happens every day, but someone would have to know of the existence of these kids. There must be some kind of a record of them somewhere.
1: The police obviously know nothing.
0: Well, if not the police, then the welfare department, the school system, somebody. Maybe
1: nobody, Alan. Maybe nobody knows and maybe nobody cares.
0: I'm not willing to believe that our society is in such a mess that children could be allowed to live alone in an abandoned building. We might as well say that this isn't a city at all, but some kind of a jungle if we can accept that.
1: Isn't that exactly what has become a jungle? Didn't we know that? Didn't we come here to try and make a change in it? Didn't we leave Logan Knolls, the perfect protected community where all the houses were the same and all the faces were the same to be a part of real life? All right, reality isn't as pretty as Logan Knolls, but I don't want to be insulated. I want to try and make a change here in the real world. If we turn our backs and ignore the possibility of those children over there, we might just as well go back to Logan Knolls. Aren't we here to make a difference?
0: Yes, but you're trying to do it all in one day, just like I knew you would.
1: If I ask Olivia to come and watch Jeff and Jennifer tomorrow morning, will you go with me over there?
0: What if I say no?
1: Then I guess I'll go along.
0: I'll go with you, Diana. Diana, the doors and windows are nailed shut. How are we supposed to get in there?
1: Some of those boards are just hanging. Let's just take one or two down.
0: There's a word for what you're proposing, you know. Actually, three words. Breaking and entering.
1: It's an empty building, isn't it? Aren't you sure of that?
0: Yes, I am.
1: Well, then there's no problem.
0: Wrong. It's still breaking and entering.
1: If we're arrested, you can defend us.
0: We have no defense. Ouch! Oh, look at that. I got a splinter in my hand three inches long.
1: I'll take it out when we get home.
0: If we get home. How did you ever talk me into this?
1: We're just going to go in and look around. You don't believe there's anyone in there. It's just a big, old, abandoned hotel, right?
0: Right. I intend to prove that to you once and for all. Now, if we can only avoid falling through the rotted floorboards. Come on. I'll go first. Watch that nail when you come through. Are you okay?
1: Fine. Yeah, the flashlight, it's so dark in here.
0: Would you look at this place?
1: Whew, Alan. What's <coughs> that? Rats. Oh, my God. <laughs> what
0: would you expect to find?
1: I, kn- I knew it would be bad, but not this, never this.
0: You still think children could survive here? That they could live in a place like this?
1: But what if they are, Alan?
0: What now? I suppose you want me to go looking upstairs.
1: I guess so. Alan? Yes, Will you hold my hand? I'm scared. I'm really scared.
0: Let's go home.
1: No, not yet.
0: All right. Hold on and follow the beam of light. What was the name of this place?
1: The Imperial Arms.
0: And how many floors? I'm not sure. You suppose the police went any farther than the lobby?
1: Probably not.
0: Then they showed remarkable good sense. This place ought to be torn down. It's a hazard.
5: <laughs> no. oh,
0: Somebody threw that at us.
5: There is someone here.
0: Yes, and they don't want company.
5: Alan, maybe you were right. Should we go back? We could just call the police and tell them what happened.
0: No, no, that'd just give whoever it is time to disappear again. You were right. It's up to us now. This is our show.
1: (sighs) At least you don't think I'm crazy.
0: Well, I know there's somebody here. Could be a bum like the police said. It could be a gang of kids, but one thing I know for sure. What's that? There was no spirit that sailed that wine bottle at us.
5: You're right there, mister. I sure ain't no ghost. Hey, would you get that light out of my face? Who are you? Name's Eddie, lady.
1: What are you
0: doing here?
5: I could ask you the same thing. I'm telling you to get that light out of my face. You're blinding me.
1: What are you doing here? We came looking for you, Eddie.
5: For me, huh? You sent the cops over yesterday. Today you come. This is as far as you get. We spotted the cops, but we didn't see you come until it was too late to get out. You stop here. I'll make sure of that.
0: Are there others here with you?
5: What's it to you?
0: You don't live here.
1: We do okay.
0: Where are the others now?
1: None of your business. Are they hiding, Eddie? They don't need to hide from us. We don't want to hurt them, or you. Yeah. Maybe so,
5: maybe not. I've seen you before, lady. When? When you was out working in your yard across the street. That was you. You kept looking on over here. Why'd
1: you do that? I felt someone watching me. I guess it was you, Eddie.
5: Why would people like you want to move into a house like that? And around here? Why didn't you just stay where you belong? Well, where do you think that is, Eddie? I don't know, and I don't care. Just, why'd you have to come here? We thought maybe we could make things better here. What, by planting flowers? It's going to take a lot more than flowers, lady.
0: Listen to me, Eddie. You and whoever else is here with you can't stay.
5: Yeah? Says who? What's you going to do, call the cops on us again?
0: If I have to, I will.
5: What if I cut your throat with this wine bottle? And the pretty ladies, too.
0: I don't think you want to do that.
5: Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. Eddie? Eddie, Eddie, may I ask you something? What? How old are you? Why do you want to know? I just wondered. Okay. I'm 13. Where are your parents? Ain't got any. Been on my own since I was nine. But there must be someone who... Nobody! There's just us here. We're family now. How many are there? You talk real softly, but you don't fool me. If I didn't tell him, I ain't going to tell you.
1: But we only want to help.
5: You do, huh? Then leave us alone and don't call the cops again. Then even if you do, they won't catch us. Just find another place. They'll never catch us. Eddie? Eddie? Ah, Angie. I told you not to come down here. I told you to stay put, didn't I? But I don't like it in the closet, Eddie. My legs feel funny all scrunched up in there. Hello, Angie. Don't say nothing to them, Angie. You just go back up now. Do I have to go back in the closet, Eddie? No, just go on up and wait for me. Okay, Eddie. You were so fired up to know who else was here. Well, Angie's one of us. She couldn't be much more than five years old. I don't know for sure. A couple of years ago, I found her wrapped up in a blanket in a trash can. First, I thought she was dead. She wasn't. She looked kind of like a little angel, so I called her Angie. I have to know, Eddie. How many of you are there? You got to know, Eddie. Well, okay. There's eight of us. We're family. We're doing okay. Just leave us alone. Eddie. Eddie. Eddie.
0: He's gone, Diana.
1: What are we going to do?
0: The only thing we can do, call the police, and in a hurry.
3: Cicely Tyson again. Months have passed since the day that Alan and Diana called the police about their encounter with the children in the old hotel across the way. Several patrol cars had been dispatched immediately, but no children were found. Since that day, Diana has been haunted by the thought of Eddie and the others and where they had gone. Hello. You
5: don't remember me, do you?
1: It's me, Eddie. Eddie? Eddie, of course I remember you. I just didn't recognize you right away. It was so dark the last time I saw you. Why'd you do it, lady? You mean, why do we call the police? Yeah, that's what I mean. We had to, Eddie. I don't expect you to understand, but we had to call them. We couldn't just let you go on like that and do nothing to try to help you. Help? You sure did
5: help. It was doing just fine until you came along trying to Help? We had to sleep in the park for a week before I could find another place for us. It was cold nights in the park, and Angie, she got sick. She still is. She won't eat nothing, and she coughs all the time.
1: Where are you living now?
5: You think I'd tell you so you could blow the whistle on us
1: again? Not a chance, lady. I'm sorry you feel that way, Eddie. I really do want to help. I think about you and Angie and the others every day... I can't stop thinking about you. Yeah, sure. It's true. You fixed up this place real pretty.
5: Eddie, why'd you come? Wanted to ask you something. What? Wanted to ask if you take care of Angie. Take her? Yeah, you know, give her a home. She's sick, see, and I can't make her better. Didn't take her out of that trash can to have her die on me, you know? Yeah, of course. We'll take Angie. We'll find homes for all of you, Eddie. We ain't puppies, lady. For Angie, it might work out okay. You know, she's little. Nobody want the rest of us. They would. They never did before. Why would they now? Just because you say so? Let me try, Eddie. At least let me try. Bring them here, please. No! We've been on our own, on the streets. Too long, see? But maybe
1: Angie. You sure you want her, lady? He good to her? Yes. And please, Eddie, bring the others. I know that I can help you, but...
0: Diana, who's that out there with you? Oh,
5: no. I gotta go. He'll turn me in for sure. No, Eddie, don't go. Eddie! Eddie! Eddie, don't go!
0: Was that who I think it was?
1: That was Eddie. What did he want? He wanted to know if we'd take that little girl, Angie, if we'd give her a home. She's sick, and he knows he can't take care of her. He wants to leave her with us.
0: Where is she? Did he bring her?
1: No, he got scared and ran off before I could find out anything else. I
0: scared him away. I'm sorry.
1: It's not your fault. Eddie lives scared.
0: I know how you feel about those kids. Do you know that you dream about them? I've heard you night after night calling their names out in your sleep.
1: Alan, do you think he'll come back? That he'll bring Angie to us?
0: Yes, I do. Eddie loves that little girl. She may very well be the only person he's ever loved. I I think he'd risked anything so that she could be safe.
1: Hope you're right.
0: Let's go in, Diana. And don't forget your pretty flowers.
1: You know, Eddie's the supreme realist. He warned me it would take more than flowers. We haven't changed a thing here. All we've done is put a coat of paint over everything. It looks fresh and clean, but it's still rotten underneath. Now, don't be so discouraged. But, Alan, how long have we been trying to get that horrible old hotel torn down? How many phone calls have I made? How many offices have you waited in? How many forms filled out? How many bureaucrats have we pleaded with and screamed at and nothing, nothing it happened? It
0: takes time. I'm not ready to give up yet. Are you?
1: But nobody seems to care.
0: We do, don't we?
1: Yes. I'm sorry. I know I haven't been myself lately can't be easy living with me these days.
0: Was it easy for you when I was studying for the bar night and day and you were pregnant with Jeff?
1: No, it wasn't.
0: We all have rough times, but you and I are lucky, Diana. We don't have to go through them alone. We have each other.
1: I love you, Alan.
0: And I love you.
1: I've been doing a lot of thinking about us in this house.
0: And you don't want to stay?
1: Oh, I want to stay, Alan, more than anything. I'm not much good with red tape. Maybe I can't get that hotel torn down. But I am good with people. Children, babies like Jeff and Jennifer. There's so many of them who are locked in rooms all day while their parents work or have no place at all to go. I was thinking that maybe in this big old house we could make a place for them.
6: You
0: mean like a daycare center?
1: Yes, exactly.
0: That's a wonderful idea.
1: And Alan, the Stanhope sisters, they were teachers. Do You think they'd like to come and help?
0: Feel useful again? Needed? I'm sure they would. Only please keep one thing in mind, Diana. We can't afford to adopt all the children you find.
1: But what about Angie? If Eddie brings her to us, we can adopt her.
0: Yes. When Eddie brings her, we'll arrange it. It'll be a terrific legal snarl, but we'll straighten it out. You can have three of your own in the daycare center.
1: We're really going to do this, aren't we?
0: We really are.
1: Okay, everybody. Let's settle down. We have a special treat today. Miss Stanhope is going to read a story today. A wonderful story about a big, tall mountain and the bear who lived on it and the little boy who wanted to climb it. Miss Stanhope?
5: Once upon a time... Long ago, in a place very far away, there lived a little boy. His name was
1: Elias.
3: Diana, you've done a very wonderful thing. No,
1: not me, all of us. I can hardly believe the center's
3: been open for nearly six months and more children every day. The change in them from day to day. But not only the children... You've given Sister and me our lives back.
1: Well, Olivia, thank you, but uh, you praise me too much.
3: Well, I happen to prize my life rather highly. These days, anyway, young lady. Oh, I didn't mean that. Oh, I know what you meant, my dear. Tell me, how much longer do you think Sister and I would have lasted shut up in that house with nothing to do? Nothing to look forward to? Why, we were only waiting to die. Now I wake up in the mornings and... Well, my old bones ache, but I... Get out of that bed because I think of the children and how they'd miss me if I didn't come here. If it weren't for them, I might just lie there. At my age, that's fatal. And sister, the way the children listened to her. They weren't moving, they were spellbound. I never knew a better teacher than Viola. She loved it. <sighs> she wept when they forced her to retire. I'll never understand that policy. It's inhuman. It's a waste. What's the use of living all the years, accumulating all the experience, if when you get old, they lock you out, shut you away from everything that's young and living? It's a terrible waste. Well, my oatmeal cookies are nearly done. I have to get them out of the oven before they burn. I promised oatmeal cookies for the afternoon snack. I can't spend all my time standing around jabbering with you, Diana. (laughs) Dear Diana
5: (laughs) Now he could feel the empty place in his pocket Where it had been He could feel the sharp rocks in his shoes And the tingling hurt of his scraped knee But he sat on the top of the mountain The whole world spread out before him And he smiled. Elias was happy. The end. (laughs) Okay.
1: Okay, it's nearly snack time. I want everyone to hold someone's hand and very slowly go downstairs. Slowly now.
5: Mommy? Mommy?
1: Yes, Angie?
5: I love the bear, sorry.
1: So did I. You smell those oatmeal cookies? Mm -hmm. Let's go downstairs and get some before they're all gone.
5: Yes, Mommy.
1: Alan, you're home early.
0: I finished in court earlier than I expected. You look beautiful. You know that?
1: Come on now. I have finger paint in my hair, red clay under my nails, and I haven't had any lipstick on in three weeks.
0: I don't care. You're blooming, Diana.
1: I feel like Viola's little boy who climbed the mountain. I've been hurt and scared and lost, and I can still feel the empty place where Eddie should have been, but I'm finally at the top.
0: Diana, what are you talking about? Oh,
1: a story Viola read to the children today. But what I'm really saying is that I'm happy, Alan.
0: So am I. But I know you. You've reached the top of this particular mountain. What's next?
1: Well, it's funny that you should say this, because I have this idea. I think that we should expand the center, include older children, and actually teach classes. I mean, cookies are fine, they're wonderful, but imagine what Olivia and Viola could give to older children. We could be licensed as a private school, and... Why are you smiling at me, Alan? I'm just
0: smiling. Have I ever told you how good it feels to come home to you?
1: Oh, maybe once or twice, but I can never hear it enough.
0: This place really is a dream house.
1: No, Alan, it's a dream come true house.
4: The Mutual Radio Theater is brought to you five nights a week at this time. Tonight's original radio play, One Dollar Dream House, was written by Pamela Russell and produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Your hostess was Cicely Tyson. Our stars were Patricia Joyce, Jack Bannon, and Irene Tedrow. Featured in the cast were June Foray and Brian Miller. The Mutual Radio Theater theme was composed by Nelson Riddle, John Harlan speaking. The Elliott Lewis production of Mutual Radio Theater is a presentation of CBI. Mutual Radio Theater has been brought to you by Sears, a name that means quality and value, a name that you can count on for service and dependability. Sears, where America shops for value.
7: This is Leonard Nimoy. Listen to us tomorrow. I've got another story of adventure about men and women defying the odds. Listen here. Tomorrow. This is Leonard Nimoy. Fifty-nine years ago, a rebel chieftain arose in the Rift Mountains of Morocco. His name was el-Krim, and for five years he fought against the combined French and Spanish armies with remarkable success. He was a colorful and, some said, a romantic sort of figure, a desert warrior. In fact, his exploits inspired a light opera of the time the desert song but while guerrilla warfare may be colorful, the color of flowing blood, it's not in the least romantic. For example in 1921 the Spanish army in Morocco numbered 19,000 troops Abdel Krim's furious tribesmen massacred 16,000 of them. Abdel Krim was a cruel and violent man and he had an uncontrollable lust for blood Well, Abdul Krim's been dead for 17 years now, but the legend lives on, and so does his family. One of his grandsons, more ruthless and even more violent, is trying to take over where Abdul Krim left off. He's in the Rift Mountains, gathering an army together, and he too has an uncontrollable lust for blood.
3: John, this is Helen. I'm off to Morocco for a week or two. I want to interview Hamid Krim before he either gets too big to answer questions or gets killed off. I'll be out of touch for a while, but when I come back, it'll be with an exclusive. Good. Thank you, John.
7: Helen West, one of the best foreign correspondents in the business. She's no fool. But she's rushing in where angels, if they had any sense at all, would very definitely fear to tread. It's liable to cost her her life, and that's only the beginning of our story.
4: Mutual Radio Theater, a new adventure in radio listening. Five nights of exceptional entertainment every week. Brought to you in Elliot Lewis's production of the Mutual Radio Theater. Our story, North from America, by Alan Caillou. Our stars, Hans Conried, Antoinette Bauer, and Len Berman.
7: Despite of all reports to the contrary, there are still some young people around today who want to get married. I like that. Of course, there are sometimes obstacles to be overcome, even before you start out.
8: Wow. Hi there, Virgil. Hi, Norma. Oh, what beautiful flowers. What are they, roses or something?
9: Ah, uh, Yes. Is Helen home? No. Oh. Well, maybe I can come in and wait for her.
8: Sure, Virgil. Anything you say. Come on in.
9: Hey, that's a great fire she's got going there. It's cold tonight.
8: Oh, is it? I didn't know. I'm always warm. You want a drink?
9: Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Is she going to be along? Who? Helen, Norma.
8: Oh, Helen. Yeah, I guess so.
9: Well, how long, Norma?
8: Oh, she figured a couple of weeks. I'm house-sitting for her.
9: A couple of weeks?
8: Yeah, she left yesterday. I have to feed the budgie and water all those house plants.
9: Oh, my. Where'd she go this time?
8: Oh, a uh, place called Morocco. Uh... That's in um, Marrakesh. Norma,
9: I know where Marrakesh is. Oh. What's she doing there? I mean, I came to propose to her. You know what a proposal is, Norma? It's kind of old-fashioned these
8: days. Oh, sure, I know. I'm not dumb. I get them all the time. <laughs> Cheers.
9: Marrakesh. Oh, I need this drink.
8: Uh, she went there to interview a man named Abdul Krim. He's going to take over all of North Africa and give the Western world a really bad time.
9: Norma, Abdul Krim has been dead for nearly 20 years.
8: Yes, that's what she said.
9: Where does Abdul Krim come into all this?
8: Oh. Oh, I remember. Well, this guy she went to interview is his grandfather's grandson.
9: That could apply to a lot of people, Norma.
8: Mm-hmm. Well, he's a rebel chieftain in the Rift Mountains. Oh, wait,
9: wait, wait. We're are we talking about Hamid
8: Krim? That's what I said, Virgil. Hamid Krim. And
9: Helen thinks he's taking over... Hey, she's on to a very good thing. Now, why didn't I think of that? Can I use the phone, Norma? I have to call my office.
8: Oh, sure, Virgil. You can use anything you like. You know that.
6: Yeah.
9: Charlie Virgil. Listen, Helen West, you know Helen West from the opposition? Charlie, I suggest there are some things you don't know. Okay, make a note. Helen West is on her way to Marrakesh to interview Hamid Krim, grandson of the legendary Abdel Krim, and I'm going out there, too, to get that exclusive out from right under her nose. When's the next flight to Morocco, Charlie? Okay, that gives me lots of time. Have a ticket for me there at Kennedy and send a cable for me to Magda. Do you know Magda? Oh, shut up, Charlie. Tell her I'm on flight, whatever it is, and have her meet me. Great. See you.
8: Who's Magda, Virgil?
9: Well, now, Magda runs a thing called Unified Press in Morocco. Takes care of all us foreign correspondents. She's really very cute, and she thinks I'm fantastic.
8: Virgil, you don't really care who you marry, do you?
9: Well, uh, let's examine that comment. I really do have my mind set on Helen right now.
8: Why don't you marry me instead? We'd go great together, and I'm right here, not in Morocco. (sighs)
9: Norma, I have to say it, you're a wonderful woman. I don't want
8: to be a wonderful woman. I want to be a wife. Norma. Let me tell you about Helen. She's got a great face, but, well, it's the kind of face that if the body's great, too, okay, then she's terrific. You know what I mean? I got both of them going for me, Virgil.
9: (laughs) Yes, well, Norma, sometimes I think you're not as dumb as I most times think you are. Two hours from now, I have to hightail it to the airport to fly to Marrakesh.
8: Two hours? You want another drink?
7: The Rift Mountains of Morocco are a long, long way from home. They're harsh, rugged, forbidding. Nothing can live here except goats and bandits. And Helen West is blithely on her way to a rendezvous with disaster. She's not even aware of the great danger she's in.
3: Mustafa, do you really think this decrepit old jeep is going to get
10: us there? Oh, yes, Missy. It's very good jeep. Little time now we finding in camp of Hamid Krim. Very dangerous man. He's killing everybody. Maybe he cut our throats, too.
3: Well, frankly, I doubt that. Everybody says he's some kind of barbarous maniac, and yet if he were really so terrible, you wouldn't have agreed so readily to find him for me. Don't you think that makes sense? Uh,
10: when we see what people like me will do for money, it is best to be sad and not think at all. This a very dangerous business, Missy, for both of us.
3: I won't believe it, Mustafa. The great Abdel Krim fought against colonial oppression. All his sons were educated in Europe, even his brother and his grandsons. Hamid Krim was educated at Sandhurst Military Academy in England. He's practically a British army officer. He cannot be the ruthless maniac he's made out to be. And that's what I want to find out about.
10: Hamid Krim is still Berber, Missy. A Berber of the Berber states as I am. And the Berbers and the most dangerous people in the world today. Never forget that.
6: Margell. Magda. Virgil, over here.
9: Magda. Oh my! It's great to see you again. You
11: look fantastic. Uh, A new hairstyle. You like?
9: Fantastic, how I.
11: Great! It's so good to see you, Virgin. Come over here. Unified press office on Sharia Bulim. Would you care for some Arak? It's all I have here. Great. So, what are you doing in Morocco, Versha? The cable said absolutely nothing.
9: I'm looking for Helen West. You know her?
11: Sure, I know her. But she's not in Morocco. She'd have checked with me. Cheers.
9: Cheers. She's after an exclusive.
11: Ah, and she would not have checked with me. With whom?
9: Hamid Krim.
11: What? With Hamid Karim? Yeah. She's crazy.
9: We all know that.
11: But she's not on her way up into the Reef Mountain to talk with him, I hope.
9: I can only assume that she is.
11: Oh, my Lord. Well, I guess we have to write Helen West off. A pity... She had a great future ahead of her.
6: Stripped
9: of all the adverse publicity he's been getting lately, how bad is he, Magda? Truly.
11: His grandfather, Karim, was one of the most violent men in history. I is far, far worse. And let me tell you just what kind of man he is. There were two French journalists here recently. They went up there to interview him, too. The Hamid Karim has maybe 2,000 men with him, ten or 20,000 rifles, a lot of rocket launchers. Heavens only knows how many bazookas, and he's got seven tanks and one aircraft, and a little balanka he hijacked. Well, he took those two French journalists up in his plane, and he dropped them on Marrakech, Vershul, from 5,000 feet without benefit of parachutes. This is the man your Helen has gone to interview. But Helen is a woman, and a very attractive woman at that, so maybe she'll last a little longer. Hamid is quite a man for the ladies. But don't expect to see her again, Versha, ever. Just write her off.
9: Then somehow i got to get her out of there.
11: Impossible.
9: There's got to be a way. Can I get help from the military?
11: Not a chance. He's got an absolute fortress up there. And everyone knows where it is, but it's, it's really quite impregnable. And the bizarre gossip is that the Moroccan Air Force is about to mount an aerial attack on his camp and blow him sky high. When? We can't be sure. But it could be any moment now.
9: Then I have to get up there fast, don't I? How do I do that?
11: Well, if you've got your heart set on suicide, there is a mad American pilot in town. His name is Bendix. Aloysius Bendix. If you can find him, and if he's drunk enough, he'll fly you up to the Rift Mountains. But you need a bodyguard, too. Can I give you a name?
9: Magda, I need all the help I can get.
11: A man named Suleiman... He was a police inspector, but he just got fired. He's tough and knowledgeable, and he'll do anything for money. You'll need him, Fersher, if you're ever going to get out of there alive.
9: Can I trust him?
11: About as far as you can throw him, and he's a very heavy man. But if you give him some money up front and promise him a great deal more when you get back, if you get back, maybe it will work out. I don't know. Pretty small chance, Virgil.
9: I have to take it. So, tell me where to find this, Solomon.
11: Number 32, Sharia Fulani.
9: Okay. Thanks for the help, Magda. Virgil. Hmm?
11: If I never see you again.
9: You bet. So long, Magda.
11: This is Majda get a message up to Hamid Karim at once tell him there's another one on his way up there a man named Virgil Fraser.
7: sometimes very easy to walk all unsuspecting into dangers that you can't walk out of quite so easily. And Helen West, a young, attractive, and very sure of herself foreign correspondent is walking into just that kind of trouble. It's all part of the necessary business of keeping the public informed about what's going on throughout the world. Sometimes it's easy to forget that a number of good reporters have lost their lives doing just that.
3: Mustafa, there's a man up there on on the bluff, a man with a rifle.
10: Oh, yes, Missy. Another one over there, you see? And over there, and over there. For half an hour now. They're everywhere around us. And listen, listen. There's horses, I think. Oh, yes, many horses. Now, now I think we have very bad trouble. They tell us to get down, Missy. Better we do that, I think. Okay, but I want my equipment.
5: My camera. I my have my it. My tape recorder. I have it, I
10: have it. Stop! Gustavo. What yes. are they trying to do? They throw the jeep over the cliff, Missy. We're lucky they don't throw us over, too. No. come no. Was a good jeep. Come, Missy. We go with them to Hamid Krim's camp.
3: Yes. Well, that is what we came all this way for, isn't it? But I have to admit I'm frightened now.
10: No, no, no. Do, do not be frightened, Missy. You must not be frightened. You must have courage. Because mine is all gone.
6: You
9: were recommended to me, Mr. Suleiman, by Maud Esbourne over at Unified Press. She said you were tough and knowledgeable and would do anything for money.
12: Oh, how kind of her. Really a very perspicacious lady, if I may say so.
9: She also said you'd recently been fired from the police department. I'm sure it's none of my damn business, so I won't ask why.
12: Oh, but I insist you know, Mr. Fraser... I was treated most abominably. I was fired for corruption. For corruption, Mr. Fraser. And I must postulate, sir, that it is not customary anywhere in the civilized world to dismiss a respected police officer for such a trifle. (laughs) Corruption indeed. It is merely that I was getting bribes my commanding officer thought should be his. And what shall I do now? I have twelve children. I must eat three times a day, and I have no money. Eat three times a day? Oh, you mean feed. Precisely, Mr. Fraser. I have to feed on them three times a day like a good father. And the little beasts are always hungry. Money, Mr. Fraser. It is always a question of money. An honest man simply cannot live without the bribes he has become accustomed to. Ah, uh,
9: Yes. Well, Magda suggested I might hire your services as sort of... Uh... I don't know, guide and bodyguard, I suppose, for a trip into the Riff Mountains.
12: Ah. Ah. Uh, there is nothing in the Riff Mountains to interest a foreign journalist, Mr. Fraser, except...
9: Except Hamid Krim, yes. I want to go to his camp.
12: Did Magda tell you also that Hamid Krim's men murdered my father?
9: No. No, she didn't. And if that means... They,
12: are, they attacked my village, Mr. Fraser. And my father, my four brothers, two uncles, and seven women of my family. They were all killed in the massacre. A village called Sarit. Remember the name. Sarit.
9: I'm sorry, Solomon, I didn't know. Well, thanks for the drink, anyway.
12: Oh, wait, wait, Mr. Fraser. Uh, Your business with uh, Ahmed Krim is to his advantage?
9: Probably not.
12: Ah, then, given sufficient... uh, Impetus. I will take you there. Impetus? Money, Mr. Fraser, is not, as you Westerners say, the root of all evil. It is merely one of its most beautiful flowers. Oh.
9: Well, I thought fifty bucks a day for two or three days would be about right.
12: If I were to parade my twelve starving children before you, Mr. Fraser, I am convinced you would reflect on the insufficiency of that offer. Come, look at their bloated
9: bellies. Solomon, I already saw some of your damn kids. They don't have bloated bellies. They're just fat. A hundred a day, then, plus a sizable bonus when we return. Done. Okay. Tell me where I can find a man named Aloysius Bendix, a pilot.
12: Captain Bendix? Ah, at this time of day, Mr. Fraser, Captain Bendix will be in the bazaar getting drunk. Well, let's go find him, shall we?
3: I'd like you to know, Hamid Krim, I'm very upset
13: just now. Oh, really? And why should that be?
3: Because your men threw my jeep over a cliff. I'll never get back to Marrakesh without it.
13: How true. But you won't need it now, Miss West. You came looking for me, you found me, and now you will stay a while.
3: Long enough for an interview,
13: yes. Oh, yes, the interview. It will be well publicized. Very well, yes. In that case, I agree. The more people learn of my bland Miss West, the more they will stand in fear of me. And fear is a very powerful weapon that I know how to use. But I must leave you now. I'm expecting a visit from the Moroccan Air Force. And I must look to my defenses. We will talk again tonight. Meanwhile, you are free to make yourself at home in the village. We Berbers are known for our hospitality. And there's an execution you may want to watch to photograph for your gutter press. But remember that, like this miserable Mustafa here, you are my prisoner. Don't try to escape. We are also known for our marksmanship, too. Why
3: should I want to escape, Hamid Grim? I came here to get your philosophies down on tape. When I've done that, I'll worry about getting home, not before.
13: (laughs) You're a very aggressive young woman, aren't you?
3: And it isn't my only virtue,
13: I assure you. We shall consider your virtue tonight.
3: All right, Mustafa. Let's take a look at the village. I want to get some shots before we lose the light.
10: I don't like it, Missy. This is a very dangerous man. I don't think we get out of here alive.
3: Nonsense. It's all just bluster. What was that?
10: Hamid Green said an
3: execution, Missy. Oh, my God. Listen. Isn't that a plane?
10: This a plane. I think they shoot it down now. Better you have camera ready, Missy.
4: Captain Bendix, they hit us.
13: Yeah. Yeah, we took a couple of shots there. Everybody all right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so.
12: Well, at least we found the camp. A lot of very angry men there, Mr. Fraser. With guns.
13: Well, don't worry about it. We're coming into the valley now. A little valley called Wadi Minfa. Okay, that's where I'm going to drop you off. you have maybe two
9: hours' climbing to Hamid Krim's camp. Hey, Captain Bendix, your fuel tank's...
13: Well, what about them? The
9: gauges say empty.
13: Hell, those gauges, they haven't been working for five years. We got plenty of gas. Okay, fasten your seatbelts. We're going down. (laughs) What am I saying? We don't have any seatbelts. Okay, everybody out. I'll
10: be here tomorrow at first light. I don't really believe you'll be, but the deal's the deal. You got any idea just how you're going to get your girlfriend out of there? I wish I
4: had. Play it off the cuff, I guess.
10: Well, i volunteer
13: to help you, except for one thing.
9: Oh, and what's that, Bendix?
13: <laughs> I got more sense. I'll see ya.
12: It looks like a long, hard climb, doesn't it? Never mind, Mr. Fraser. Think of the great reward that is waiting for us at the end of it. All those angry men with their guns. And here they come now, Mr. Fraser. But they're not firing. That is absolutely correct. It means they want us alive. And shall I tell you what they might do to us?
9: No, I'm trying very hard not to think about that.
7: the fourth act of North from Marrakesh.
13: Well, Miss West, did you photograph that execution?
3: No, I did not.
13: Oh, well, I can easily arrange another one for you if you wish. Do you
3: really want the whole world to see that sort of thing?
13: Yes, I told you, and you don't listen, do you? I told you, the more people who fear me, the better I like it. They must learn that I am not a man to be trifled with, that this is the fate of anyone who stands in my way. Oh, come. We sit here on the sand, and you may interview me.
3: Photographs? Tape recorders? Of
13: course. I want my ambitions to be known to the whole of your damned Western world.
3: Okay, we're recording. First, Hamid Krim, will you repeat that last comment, please?
13: I want the Western world to know that anyone who stands in the way of my ambitions will be removed.
3: And what are your ambitions, Hamid Krim?
13: First... The conquest of my own country, Morocco. Then the subjugation of Algeria, Tunisia, Libya, and Egypt. By force of arms. You are a very foolish young woman if you believe there is any other way. Then you're talking about all-out war. In the desert, yes. We Berbers are very good in the desert. In the cities, by more devious methods. By selective assassination.
3: By selective assassination. What do you mean exactly?
13: I mean the present rulers and Arminians who are all pawns of Western imperialism. From Marrakesh all the way to Cairo, I have more than a hundred names all marked down for assassination.
3: For the record, Hamid Krim, can we call that murder?
13: Call it what you will, dear lady. Death has as many names as it has forms. As my army grows, my bower grows. And so will my list of victims till there is not one man left who would dare stand against me. There is one word in the lexicon of all great rulers that must never be forgotten. And that word is kill.
3: Hamid Krim, will you tell me how many men you have under your command?
13: No comment. I will say only that when my illustrious grandfather, Abdel Krim, died in exile, mark you, he still had 400,000 adherents to his cause. Soon I will have far, far more. And then I... Why, Mr. Virgil Fraser, I do believe. Virgil! Helen,
9: thank God I found you. Hamid Krim, you know my name.
13: I was expecting you, Mr. Fraser. I'm kept well informed about the machinations of my enemies.
9: Enemies? I'm not your enemy, Hamid Krim. I just came here to... Uh, well, to help Helen out with her interview.
13: Virgil, I don't need help. Then sit down, Mr. Fraser. Where were we, Miss West?
3: You were saying you'd kill anyone who stood in your way.
13: Oh, yes, of course.
9: And about that, what about those two French reporters?
13: What French reporters?
9: Shut up, darling. Why did
13: you murder them, honey, Krim? Why? Because I thought they might perhaps be spies. As both of you might well be, too.
3: Wait, wait, I have to flip the tape. Hold the thought. Okay, off the top.
13: Virgil?
9: Why did you murder those two French journalists, Hamid Grimm? All they wanted was an interview from you.
13: I executed them, Mr. Fraser, because I thought they might be spies, as you might well be, too. And at the moment, for the record, I'm wondering what I should do with you. I might have you buried in the sand up to your necks for the children to throw stones at.
9: You're forgetting one thing, Hammett. Oh? And what is that?
3: You said it yourself. You want the whole world to hear your philosophies, as it will. You can't afford to kill us.
13: And is that what you are counting on? Yes. I thought as much. Your manner has been arrogant and offensive ever since you first came here. Yes, I want to see that tape made public. But I can easily send it down to my friends at Unified Press. It does not need your physical presence.
3: He's got a point there, Virgil.
13: In the morning, I will decide what is to be done with you both. Tonight, Mr. Fraser, you will sleep here under guard. Miss West will sleep with me. I can't permit that, Hamid Krim. You can't permit it? You have no say in the matter at all. She is my prisoner. And I do with my prisoners as I wish... And in her case.
9: That's the Moroccan Air Force, Hamid Krim. Comes to bomb you
13: to hell and gone out of here. I know. There is a cave a hundred yards behind you. Take this west there. I send a guard with you. (laughs) Ali, run our home. Suleiman, Mustafa,
4: come with us.
9: Okay, we should be safe here. This cave's a natural, natural air shelter. Suleiman, our guard, you think he speaks English?
12: No, Mr. Fraser. A mountain man, which is to say an ignoramus.
9: Okay, when I belt him in the gut, you grab that machine pistol. And then we'll all get the hell out of here.
12: Please, Mr. Fraser, allow me to handle this delicate matter for you. (laughs) You see, Mr. Fraser, there is nothing in the world more formidable than the anger of a righteous man. And if you
13: would like me to cut his throat, I will be most happy to oblige. Really, very happy indeed. No. No,
9: he's out cold. Suleiman, can you and Mustafa guide us down the mountainside in the dark?
3: Virgil, where to? We can't just walk out of here. It's 200
10: miles to Marrakesh.
9: There's a plane coming for us at dawn. A place called Wadi Minfa.
10: Wadi Minfa. It means... The valley of dried out bones.
13: Watch out, rock
3: Dear Lord, I nearly fell. It's an awfully long way to fall. Where's Mustafa? He's not with us anymore.
12: Do not worry about Mustafa, Miss West. He knows where Wadiminfa is, he will catch up.
3: Oh. Will they come looking for us, Solomon?
12: Oh, yes, if they survive that bombing. But this is a very large mountain in this west, and they will not know where to look. It will be for them like looking for a haystack with a needle. And we are there. What do you mean Better you sleep now till the plane arrives. I will keep watch. Mr. Fraser, Mr. Fraser, wake up! We uh. have trouble. We have adversity calling towards us on its hands and knees. Uh. A man out there, and where there is one, there may be many others. Oh my
3: God! Oh, what a lovely morning! Sh- we've been discovered.
12: Oh no! Wait, it's Mustafa, and he's been hurt. I will go to help him.
3: Virgil, I'm scared.
12: Yes, me too.
3: Are you sure this plane is coming for us?
7: I'm hoping.
12: He's been shot, Mr Fraser. He is dying.
10: Miss Missy West, is she here?
3: I'm here, Mustafa.
10: What happened? I, I betrayed you. I told told Hamid Krim that plane come for you this morning to Wadi Minfa. I I'm hoping. Hoping for a reward, but Hamid Krim became very angry and he, he shot me dead and beat me there. All night long, I crawled down mountain to tell you my revenge. Mustafa, tell and, us what? Wait, oui, my dying breath, Hamid Krim.
13: I think you may be come here soon. ...looking for you...
6: ...very... ...angry... ...man.
11: Oh, God.
12: He is dead, Miss West. We will leave him here for the jackals to feed on. They too will die and the vultures will feed on them... And when the vultures die and fall to earth as they must, it will be a turn of the ants to feed on them. It is what is called in your language ecology.
3: And I brought him here.
12: Hey, that's Pendex. Virgil! Virgil, they're on the mountains. horses. Yes, it is. Hamid Krim and some of his... bandits. Come on in, Damia. Hamid Krim and four men! Do not worry, Miss West. I have a good machine pistol.
10: And down on come the on! Well, hurry it up, will you? Come
12: on, get up there, fast!
10: Come on, honey, move! Solomon, come on! No,
12: I wait for them to get within range, Mister Fraser. Are you crazy? Get aboard! Yes, something. It is Better you take off now, Mister Fraser, without me. There is something I must do now. Solomon,
6: get on board!
12: Hamid Krim, remember Sarit?
6: Sarit, my village. Remember the name!
13: wonder what a submachine gun can do in the hands of a capable man. You okay, Suleiman?
12: No, he's been shot.
13: Okay,
9: Suleiman, grab my arm. Uh,
12: you think, Mr. Freeman, this is the first time my poor body has been the recipient of barbarians' bullets? No, I have had in my time the mighty of them. Any the Suleiman, why don't you just speak English
4: like the half-civilized savage you are? Okay, boys and girls, let's go.
7: Ugh. Hey, well, some kind soul, you won't want to pass me the bourbon bottle that's under the seat there. Me
12: first, Captain Bendix.
7: Two
9: things, Helen, in order of their relative importance. Do we still have the tape? And will you marry me?
10: Yes, Virgil. And Yes. <laughs>
4: The Mutual Radio Theater is brought to you five nights a week at this time. Tonight's original radio play, North from Marrakesh, was written by Alan Caillou and produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Your host was Leonard Nimoy. Our stars were Hans Conry, Antoinette Bauer, and Len Berman. Featured in the cast were Peggy Weber, Jeffrey Behnken, Richard Peel, and Alan Caillou. The Mutual Radio Theater theme was composed by Nelson Riddle. John Harlan speaking. Associate Director of Mutual Radio Theater is Ken McManus. Sound effects were created by Bud Tollefson. Mark Trella is Production Supervisor. Recording Engineer, Hal McDonald. Music Editor, Lee Ringette. The Elliott Lewis Production of Mutual Radio Theater is a presentation of CVI. Mutual Radio Theater has been brought to you by Sears, a name that means quality and value. A name that you can count on for service and dependability. Sears, where America shops for value. This is Lauren Green. Listen in on Monday for another story about the West, as
7: it was then, as it is now.